The first rule of Fight Club Minute is we do talk about Fight Club. The second rule of Fight Club Minute is we do talk about Fight Club. The third rule of Fight Club Minute, someone yells stop, goes limp, taps out, the minute is over. Fourth rule, only one guest to a minute. Fifth rule, one minute at a time, fellas. Sixth rule, no shirt, no shoes. Seventh rule, minutes will go on as long as they have to. And the eighth and final rule, if this is your first time listening to Fight Club Minute, enjoy the show. I am Jack's 66th minute. I begin with Jack's boss asking Jack what he would do, and I end with Marla's tit going to rot off. I'm your host, Bubble Wheats, and my co-host, Lance Stanford, is a button-down Oxford cloth psycho about to snap. How are you doing today? Yeah, that is almost the truth. I just wear t-shirts. <laughs> uh, I'm good. I'm, I'm, it's been a fun week. Um, we've, it's been a lot of fun because my friend Danny's here, as you're about to tell everybody. Yes, and... Uh, like you just said, our guest, Danny Gamero, used to be such a nice guy. So how are you doing today? I'm good. No, it's, uh, I, I did used to be such a nice guy. <laughs> and you met me. No. Yep. <laughs> then I have uh, high school kids. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's enough to, uh, to turn everybody down a dark path. <laughs> uh, but... Uh, we do like to get a little bit serious here on our Friday's episodes, and we are going to get very serious to, based on uh, Jack's speech. But before we get to that, I do like to kind of turn things around because Fight Club has become this uh, attached to this toxic masculinity crowd. And so to turn that around, I'd like to give you the opportunity to share an example of positive masculinity, whether it's from movies, TV, uh, or even a real life example. Paul Rudd, Paul Rudd in general, Rudd. <laughs> just seems like, you know, like you just see him and he's nice. You know what I mean? Like nice. Like you hear stories about him, kind of like Keanu Reeves, you know, you hear stories about him and uh, they're nice guys and they're not playing people. And they're, you know, like that. I think of like Paul Rudd in the new Ghostbusters afterlife or, or uh, I love you, man. Like, just a good general, like, that's the kind of person that you'd want to be masculinity-wise. Maybe not like, uh, you know, this is 40 or uh, knocked up. But even then, I wouldn't say that's totally his fault. I just think of, like, the bit he always did on Conan, where he showed up. <laughs> oh, yes. Like, oh, my God, yes. Like, that just being friends with a dude and ha-ha every time. Like, But, like, it's that it's that whole, like, you can be friends with guys and it can just be like this easy friendship. Like it doesn't always have to be that, oh, machismo type of thing. Just positive. Yeah. And I, I think he he does it play kind of a similar character, even like his uh, Scott Lang Ant-Man. I, you know, I, I feel like that is a, a great character and he pl pulls that character off really well is, you know, someone that's just trying to be a good dad, even though he's, yeah, uh, failing in in a lot of different aspects. Right, everything he does is for his daughter. Mm -hmm. So the jumping into today's minutes, and uh, this gets into a little bit of uh, touchy territory, and you know, depending on your your politics, where uh, you know this uh, again, like pulling from the commentary. This scene was actually in the 
they shot this during the first week of shooting. And the Edward Norton talks about how he, you know, they did a lot of takes. He was given a lot of direction. And um, I believe this was his first time working with David Fincher. So maybe that he just wasn't expecting, um, wasn't familiar with how many takes he normally does. But he, like, they kept doing take after take of this. And he kept getting direction. And he thought that there were some good takes. But at the end of the day, they still weren't. He got the impression that they weren't happy with what they got. And then they did a reshoot later on in the filming and uh because what david fincher wanted was he wanted something that was more threatening like more aggressive uh to to really get that tone that he was really threatening his boss but between the time that they shot this first scene and they started doing test screenings with the reshoot the columbine shooting happened uh, because before this, th- this was basically going on a take of what's brought uh, about like the various post office shooting. And that was kind of old news at this point, because that's that was kind of going on through the 80s and uh, early 90s. So it, it was kind of in the past, but it, it was something that I mean, that's that's where the phrase going postal came from. But after Columbine happened, that kind of brought it back into the news in a, in a big way. And so having, so they went back to this, which they felt was a more neutral take on the story where he's not quite so actively threatening. It's, it's almost like a, is he being serious or is this an empty threat? It's kind of in the middle and, and it tracked a bit better than the, the more threatening version that they did with the reshoots. Well, I think the, the, I don't even say it's less threatening. I mean, that, that may be in the words they use, but I feel like it's just less uh, forceful. It's like uh, there's a, in Dark Knight Rises, there's an improv moment at the first where this guy's talking to Bane and all this stuff and Tom Hardy puts his hand on his shoulder and that's not in the script. Like that was just something he did to be like, you think you're in charge? And it was just a little, and I think here, like having that tone that he has, it's like when somebody is calm, uh, and threatening like it's it, to me it's almost more it's like they're comfortable with the threat so they've done it before so they'll do it again whereas you know somebody's yelling in your face and at that point you know they have their emotions and you can maybe talk them down and things like that but if somebody's just deadpan to me that's like they've made up their mind and no this is how it is this is what it's going to be um so to me I don't know. I, I think this is almost scarier uh, because, yeah, he's he doesn't seem like he has any problem with saying these words. He's cold and calculating. I mean, that's really what it is, right? He says yeah. Tyler's words come through me. Just... Yeah, yeah, and that's that's really the big line of the of this minute is uh, Tyler's words coming out of my mouth, and that like you can read so much into that one single line of dialogue because. It it literally is Tyler's words coming out of his mouth because this in one way, like on a first time watch, you think, well, yeah, Ty, that just means that Tyler's words or that Tyler's rubbing off on him. But in a way, you can also read it as literally he is becoming Tyler for this brief moment and that it is 
Tyler speaking through him in this moment, even though he doesn't necessarily realize it. The way it plays, I mean, even even knowing what we know after rewatching it, I think it's it's definitely a uh, we've had a few like the crossover where it's he's becoming more Tyler, and this is very much a Tyler thing. Uh, instead of you know, we have moments where it's like, oh, okay, yeah, they're the same same person, but there are definitely Tyler moments with the narrator, and this is this is one of them for sure. Although I, I will say that I I would like if you try and imagine Brad Pitt doing this speech, I don't think it would have been as effective. And also, he would never do it in this way. Like I feel like Brad Pitt's Tyler Durden giving this speech would be a very different scene. It would be more threatening, like in your face. You think? See, I think there's something almost comical to Brad Pitt, like. I, even when he is Tyler, you know, he's so exaggerated and over the top that. And there's always, there was always a sense of, there's always a sense of like jokingness to him. Like he, even whenever he's talking about serious things, he's kind of, he's saying it with a smile on his face. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think, I don't think he would be as intimidating here. Um, I, Cause he's too pretty. Like, we're like, Oh no, you're just, <laughs> You're just clowning around, man. It's okay. Uh, whereas at Norton, and you see that shift in his demeanor too when he kind of leans up, like sits up and leans back. It's a great acting moment uh, because he does. He becomes Tyler at that point. But when Brad is Tyler, he's arms flailing and then, you know, throwing stuff. Like even the first of the week when we saw him throwing off his glasses and throwing off the glove and everything. And he... Uh, yeah, I, I I think it would be completely different with with Brad there. This was also the 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 I would say this is the point of the movie where he starts to snap a little bit. You know, it's like that's that switch is flipping. Mm-hmm. And it's so this is about when he gets <laughs> Yeah, it's it's <clears throat> pretty close to that. And and also like he is like this cold and calculating and very slow and deliberate. And then just that one quick moment whenever he snatches that paper and like he doesn't just grab it like he grabs it and then uh flings it like he moves his arm it's kind of the maximum motion like he does it in one motion and then he has his arm extended to the right as far as it can go like he doesn't just grab it he like snatches it and makes a grand motion of it but that's really the only movement in that entire movement in that entire moment yeah is he just it's it's like very contained but it's like just this one like this one pinpoint moment moment of motion and i know i know fight club came out first um so it may be the other way but there's definitely some i get some patrick bateman american psycho Mm -hmm. vibes from him right here like uh i and i don't know if Christian Bell looked at that. I mean, I'm sure he watched this, but I I can see a connection uh, there. When whenever Ed Norton becomes, I don't know, let's call him Office Tyler. I don't know, but when he has that whole change, like it is very in, in my mind, like very Patrick Bateman. Yeah, I can see that, and also it's also worth mentioning. Like even though he's like literally just standing there. 
but uh, Zach Grenier, that his boss, like just the look on his face and just like the very subtle acting that he does during this entire moment is a, a fantastic juxtaposition to to what he sees like it, it's he just gives this perfect reaction even though it's like practically no reaction yeah well i think it's you know danny talked about it being that that switch turns on in in norton i think also a switch turns on in the boss where he's like this you know he sees the switch you know he's like this went from being like my model employee everything and he's slow he's seen that slow descent you know with the swallow your own blood with the blood on the shirt with the cigarettes with and i think this is that moment where he's like i might have screwed up coming here with it you know like this this is not the same guy he was two years ago or you know i know we, we kind of time frame this sometimes but uh you know th- he's not the same person he was and I, I i think he loses control in this moment i think this is a moment where um and norton really breaks free of the job and, and you know obviously he comes back and does stuff later that we'll see in a couple of weeks but um i think this is very much when his everybody realizes that his time at the the office is is over like this is his two weeks notice basically <laughs> yeah he has a like he's able to convey with just a single look on his face a a combination of anger confusion and a little bit of fear especially with like with his body posture because he's standing there and his health is head is tilted just slightly away from uh from jack and and such a like that that just really just with the body posture and facial expression conveys all these things that like he doesn't he doesn't fully know what he's looking at but he's a little bit afraid of it yeah what you think danny i wouldn't want to mess with him <laughs> Especially after that line, I'd be like, okay, I need to back away. I'm surprised uh, how much crap he put his boss through before he uh, before they even had a talk about <laughs> uh, if he would get fired or not. Maybe it was the fact, like Lance said, that he was a model employee for however many years before. Um, you know, the funny thing is this taking place 1999 when it came out or whatever, this taking place in the 90s. If this were done now, there would be conversations in there about mental health. You know, like maybe we should get you some help, um, you know, that sort of thing. But interesting yeah. juxtaposition there. Just coming in and yelling at him, and be like, "Come sit down." I can see him like do the Captain America, spin the chair around, be like, "Hey, bud, do we need to talk?" <laughs> like, yeah, there's, you know, there, there's not really a whole lot going on in the scene. It, it really is just this, this line about the, um, you know, it this this hypothetical story about a, a workplace shooting. So I, I did look up a couple, um, a couple background information. Like I, I did actually look up the history of the, those postal shootings. And I just really just got one little paragraph that, that kind of uh, from the start of it, which was on August 20th, 1986, a uh, United States Postal Service employee killed 14 co-workers and wounded six before killing himself in Edmond, Oklahoma, at the post office. And this wasn't the first uh, shooting. There had been shootings earlier in the decade, 
but this was really the the biggest scale one of these and at the time it was one of america's worst mass shootings in history and that's really what considered the the beginning of the uh the going postal and it, that really started the the whole pop culture uh idea of postal workers going crazy and shooting up the place and and it's it's weird to think back about that time because with school shootings that that's always looked at as a tragedy and even though this is something that this should be a tragedy it, it's so bizarre to think back at the time and think out think about how how lightly the pop culture took these mass shootings and and how going postal became a joke and and it's something that's shown up in like comedy movies like oh, yeah. what do you guys think about that well i think it's like danny said you know this happened now we'd be having mental health talks and stuff but i i think i mean what tragedy tragedy plus time equals comedy but there was like no time with those um i i i think it's a few factors um one i think it's a class so so bucks um one i think it's a, a class thing like people see postal workers they are like the definition of a blue i mean they wear blue collars to work you know and all they they walk around they are they are civil servants so they're serving you as well they they are like and, and you know i told the story earlier this week about my old roommate was a postal worker um they especially at that time because you had um you just you know late 70s you had the postal worker strike where um nixon actually called in the national guard to deliver mail in the 70s um because the postal workers went on strike so i think you kind of had heat from that coming off and then like I said that whole late there some people would consider them uh, you know a step above a butler or something and it's okay to make fun of the help. It's kind of the mentality that the world has had for centuries. Um, so I think it was the modern equivalent of in olden times, you know, when they would just like, have, like in um, Django, where they have the slaves fight each other and they're all making jokes and betting money. Like, oh, if the if the poors are fighting, it's funny. And um, I, I think that's where a lot of it comes from is, it's they're not they're not uh seen as at that time you know as as people you know they're they just work you know show up deliver your mail now you notice when they mess up for sure <laughs> um but yeah it, it is you know like like i said it's like making fun of the butler or something which it's it's not okay but like i, I think that was like the last hurrah of um well until recently um of the like wage disparity of social disparity when the rich can make fun of the poor or the empowered can make fun of the unempowered and i think going postal was just like look at these people this is they have nothing better to do with their time than to shoot each other blah blah i i think uh i think there's a, a lot to be said like with with that dynamic and i think it also the in theory, it it's uh, brought light to the poor working conditions that a lot of them had. The, that there was a lot of uh, bad 
middle management the, and really poor working conditions in a lot of the, the post offices around the country. Yeah. And I, I think that 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 aspect of it, I mean, doesn't doesn't excuse the, the workers that that did that did snap and uh, come back in, in a violent fashion. But it's it's also not great for the, the people that did work there under those conditions, too. Well, I said they just what? come up that strike and not a whole lot had really changed. And so, yeah, I get the disgruntled employee thing. What's the, it, no, I just am thinking that the brain, brain would blank on it. I'm trying to remember <laughs> what exactly I said, was going to say, but it, it's the whole, uh, that product of its time, right? Like we were doing stuff where we were trying to make light of things that were serious because we didn't want to think about the actual severity of the thing that happened, right? Like they made video games of it, you know, of yeah. going postal, right? Yeah. U-Bull made a movie about it. Not saying that U-Bull is amazing or anything, but he <laughs> did make a movie of it called Postal. So it's, you know, I'm just saying like we we kind of took things that were serious and, and made light of them because it was easier for us to take than now where we are being forced to take in the severity of what's happening. Well, I think it's it's it was that, that middle step because before that, you just didn't acknowledge things. You just didn't talk about it, push it down. Don't worry about it. Now, like you said, we do, we talk about it. We try and figure out what's wrong. So I think it was that that necessary bridge of, hey, let's talk about it, but in a lighthearted way. So we're acknowledging it, but you know, we're not just pushing it down and ignoring it, but ha ha ha. Like I remember like there were t-shirts, like concert t-shirts, it's like USPS tour, you know. And it would have all the the sites and stuff and uh where there were shootings. But yeah, so I, I think I think you're right. It's definitely I'm not gonna say a product of its time, because I'm not a huge fan of that phrase anyway, but um it was definitely of the time in that, but it, like in a positive way, you know, like yeah, we're talking about it. We're it's baby steps, you know, and mm -hmm. whereas now it we'd really talk about it and address it and stuff. So no, I think although, was, although technically they're there has, I mean, it was an indie game, but there is uh, somebody did make an an indie video game that where you um, uh, are basically are playing a a uh, character in a high school that, uh, you know, the the well, plot of it is, game. yeah, yeah, and it got where you're playing the role of the shooter. Yeah, I yeah, it got that. pulled because uh, it came out pretty quickly after the shootings um and they pulled it like off the internet uh, and then the guys who made it went back and changed the names and the settings and stuff and it's so it's out there um but it was yeah they they shut that down the first time real fast yeah and and it was always it still is uh considered like in bad taste where the the postal movie was I mean, there's definitely some people that considered it in poor taste and considered it a bad movie, but it, at the same time, it it it's like it, there wasn't that same level of pushback against the postal movie, other than you know most of it was just the the typical, uh, you know the 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 standard criticism that Uwe Boll gets with all of his movies. Well, and that always goes in your dynamic of loss of. When you're looking at lots of life, um, children versus adults, you know, that's mm -hmm. what what it comes down to. I mean, at the, 
it's all tragic. But yeah, I think at the end of the day, that's uh man, I, I realize like I am very much a product of the 80s and 90s because when it comes to like heavy stuff, serious stuff, I just crack jokes. Like my wife hates it because I cannot have a serious conversation. Like we'll be she'll need it, we'll need to talk about something serious and blah blah. And I just start making jokes and laughing and I that just I am a child of, of the 80s and 90s, I guess, for sure. Because Yeah, that, that's how I am, too. I'm just like, and my, my wife and my wife, like, alternately hates it, but at the same time appreciates it. Because, like, when, whenever she's going through something serious and then I end up cracking a joke and making her laugh. And, and like, she's like, have, you know, I hate whenever you do that. But at the same time, it's like sometimes you need laughter yeah. to in order to help you cope with the seriousness yeah and uh, seriousness. <laughs> <laughs> and one one other thing that i did look up uh because i was kind of curious and and the fact that he is very specific whenever he says uh, armalite ar-10 carbine gas-powered semi-automatic weapon which that that is like the actual name of of a specific uh, assault rifle uh the armalite ar-10 and it was uh, in service, like starting from the the late fifties through the early eighties, and it it doesn't seem like it, it was so much. Uh, it was mostly uh, like in service in Portugal and Sudan and other countries. And it's I did see that it had like whenever they first introduced it was a little bit of uh, like they. It was difficult for it to take off because the the first versions used an aluminum and steel composite barrel, which burst in a in a torture test. So they it was seen as you know not very good quality, and it it took them a while to get over that that initial hump. Uh, it I, I was also curious about the the line. Uh, gas powered because i'm you know i'm i'm not i'm not someone that's into firearms and if somebody says gas powered of you know my first thought is oh so what you gotta you know gotta pour a little gasoline into the tank of the rifle to get it to work um but it, it's it's actually really interesting that's uh the way that they they were able to actually end up using the the expanding gas from the exploding bullet within the chamber and they use that gas in order to power the the mechanism for the rifle to um, expel the used shell casing and load a new shell so it's it's actually the you know the firing of the bullets and the expanding gas which powers the uh, the reload mechanism yeah We'll have to put a PowerPoint together, put it on Instagram. <laughs> uh, and then the the last moment is we get uh, this Marla Singer, which, of course, this is Marla being Marla. She doesn't say hello. She just immediately says, my tit's going to rot off. I just love his, I have to take this. Like, it's just, <laughs> to me, that's that's the beat of, of this week. Like, it's you got the you know, the soap line and all the other stuff. But to me, the I got to take this is the funniest part of the week because... Uh, well, we just missed it. it, it technically, it, it covered, it's... Uh, oh, we, I'd have to take this in the next minute. But yeah, yeah. We, I mean, 
I think it's fitting to talk about it today rather than yeah. it he makes the face like it's just it's kind of one of those okay well yeah then I'll, I'll save it for next week but um it's like a out of the frying pan in the fire like he's dealing with this major talk with his boss about maybe maybe not shooting everybody in the office to the girl he may or may not like her tits rotten off so it's like hold on i'll deal with this problem in a minute i gotta deal with this problem like it just in the the look and the way ed norton portrays it is just hilarious i think he's just like bah because he he's still even though it's his job that he used to love and this woman that he may love he still doesn't care at this point is like he doesn't care about either of them so he's also you know like indifferent if something happens because as you know earlier in the movie when he was like if i would have just stayed on the line she would have died and it would have been fine so and i also think visually that like the way that marla is on screen is is very fantastic just you know she she has this very vulnerable look about her and i also it's like I'm, I'm looking at it right now and i i think it's it's interesting that uh that the shape of her outfit and her legs creates this x because she has this this top that has very deep cleavage and so it, it has like a, a v at the top and then her legs are you know together at the knee and then far apart at the ankles so it it really creates this like visual x shape to it which that's again you know reading too much into it which is what we do whenever we're breaking this <laughs> down one minute at a time but at this point marla is kind of the x because at this point it seems like tyler is done with her and she is the ex-girlfriend at this point and there she is visually an x right there on the screen or is it like x marks the spot like this is his escape from work this is where he doesn't have to deal with that anymore because this is the figuratively and literally like the spot that he's going to end up at and be with like the on a treasure map. It also feels like a very vulnerable post because, you know, th this is Marla in a very vulnerable point in, in her life as, as we'll, you know, find out in next week that, you know, she's calling him because she thinks she might have cancer. I just, I'm not laughing. I'm laughing at, you know, Jack's colon that we had. That's, <laughs> that's, with that, you know, we go from viewing cancer in a comical way earlier in the film to a tragic and serious way here. And I, I think that kind of, I don't know. I'm gonna, I'll have ideas by next week about <laughs> what, what I think about that. Yeah. Um, Danny, do, do you have any thoughts about, uh, you know th this very brief shot of Marla that we get in this uh, this whole phone call almost you know the the beginning of this comedic beat to end end this moment to end this very serious uh, uh you know story it's comedic but isn't it kind of a vulnerable scene for her she's not vulnerable as a character it's very few scenes show that and mm -hmm. this she's just straight up being like my tits gonna rot off like she's crass because that's her but it's also kind of vulnerable, like, hey, I need someone to come help, you know? Yeah. Whereas earlier when she took all the pills, she was like, what is a death sigh? You know, like she was totally okay with dying at her own hand. But yeah, I hear that it's something she can't control scares her almost. You know, yeah, yeah you're, you're right. 
And I that that's all I have for for this minute. I, I think we ended up going longer than I expected to because I because <laughs> <laughs> this this is a fairly straightforward scene. Um, but I I think you know I I get the feeling that that uh, that's about all we have to say about this minute. Uh, but Danny, if uh, do you have anything to say about any other part of the movie? Since you know you're only here for this week. Sure. You know, I did want to say this because I was talking to Lance about this uh, yesterday when I earned well yesterday from recording. Um, so the the scene, the my favorite scene used to be back in the day used to be uh, I want to destroy something beautiful, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, with with Jared Leto. Um, even before I knew really who Jared Leto was, besides <laughs> uh, his stint on TV with my so called life. Um, now watching it i just hate it (laughs) i hate that he that he does that to him it's just such a shitty moment for uh his character i mean it's you know you always have those the arcs and character this one feels like a downward arc as we're going kind of back up maybe in a little while but anyway i just thought about that um and one i do want a funny little anecdote story uh jared leto i met jared leto years back at a, at a 30 seconds to Mars concert and uh, me and my buddy are, are meeting him and my buddy says to him, Hey man, I just, I have a question for you. And, uh, and then, you know, whatever. So he's like, so in fight club, when, when uh, Brad Pitt is talking about we're, we're all, you know, office workers and blah, blah. And he looks straight at you and says, rock stars. Is that because you started 30 seconds to Mars? And uh, cause he looks right at Jared Leto when he says that. And uh, Jared Leto looks at my friend and goes, rule one, we don't talk about Fight Club. <laughs> and, and my buddy starts to walk off. He's like, whoa, he starts to walk off. And Jared Leto's like this with his hand out. And he's walking off. And he looks at me and he goes, hey, you can't leave me hanging. <laughs> he my hand back to finish the fist bump. Just really kind of funny Jared Leto uh, anecdote there because he is a, actually a really good guy in real life. Yeah, I, I you know, as as we're recording this, he... Uh, 30 seconds to mars just released a uh, their latest album and jared leto did a stunt where he climbed the uh, empire states building which oh, that it just completely blows my mind that's it's a very jared leto do, yes. the only only person that ever let do that so he's the only first and only person to ever climb that yeah that that's just insanity like i i haven't you know i i've kind of I haven't actually watched anything about it to to really hear anything. I, I've just like I've seen the headlines and seen like brief clips of him, but I haven't actually read the the full story about that. But that 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 is just insane to me. Well, and you know, speaking of Fight Club and the the cult personality and all that. Now we have Jared Leto with his own you know thirty seconds to Mars cult. You know, they even have meetings on an island. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, Danny, for joining us today and all this week. It's been a pleasure talking to you. And for one last time, why don't you go ahead and let everybody else know where else you can be found online? You can find me and my co-host uh, of Pop Culture Elevator anywhere you listen to podcasts. You can find us on Instagram and you can find us on Facebook. All right. And this has been Fight Club Minutes, and you can find us on all the available podcatchers out there. We are also a part of the Rabbit Hole Podcasting Network. 
There's a lot of other great podcasts that you can listen to out there, uh, as well as uh, one of my other podcasts, Lyrical Innuendo, where every other week I talk about a song and dive into the lyrics and decide what the uh, the hidden meanings are in those lyrics, whether they're about sex, drugs, or anything else. And that's that's a lot of fun as well. And uh, you can also check out my other uh, movie podcast, It's Time to Rewind, that uh, I believe we may or may not, or I sh- we should still be going through 50 First Dates. Uh, I might be wrapping up with that at this point, because uh, I'm recording those in a very separate timelines. So we're recording this way ahead, and that podcast I don't record, record quite so far ahead of time. Uh <laughs> But um, this has always been a lot of fun, and we are still almost, but not quite, to the halfway point. But this has been Fight Club Minutes, and this podcast is ending one minute at a time. And I used to be such a nice guy. Well, maybe you just shouldn't bring me every little piece of trash you happen to pick up.